Glory to God. A couple of things. This this awesome young man here invited me to speak at their the FCA at Slidell High. Um, and that was this past Friday. And man, I'm just going to tell you guys, it was awesome. It was awesome seeing all those high school students um, gathered together. And they made this whole like big old breakfast. It wasn't like, let's go buy donuts and show up and have donuts. Like they were in the kitchen all cooking. And you had a portion of the, the students out there like rehearsing the worship song. And so you had all these students that were like for one another, right? And we're like all coming together as one. Um, to support one another, to to connect with the Lord. And it was just a beautiful thing to be there and to see all that and to be able to declare God in the midst of like a public school setting, mm. you know, and to talk to the teachers after and the principal who was connect, who, who knew Mr. Percy, who was my principal, who had a big role in bringing me out of the pit. He, he might have saved my, I mean, God yes. used him to save my life. Because yes. I remember coming in the first day of school that year, I skipped all my finals my junior year to get high in the woods. I mean, some of my teachers came to find me and were like, you have an A in the class. Just come take the test. And I was like, I get that. You can ask my mom. I was like, I'm, I'm like the stiffest of the stiff necked people. And so I took zeros. So I showed up the next year, which would have been my senior year, but which wasn't my senior year because I took zeros oh gosh. on all my on all my finals. And so what kind of holy terror do you think was going to be born inside of me that year? Because of the hopelessness. There's no graduation. There's no nothing. I was like dead man walking, dead man walking. I remember the first day. I don't know. I mean, I never had a conversation with Mr. Percy about this after, but it's almost like he showed up that day to find me. The first day, because he came and found me in the hall and basically snatched me up and looked me in the face and started telling me I needed to come out for the basketball team that year. And I was like, what's the point? I'm not going to graduate. I got zeros. Who cares? He looked me right in the face. He said, you go out for the basketball team. He said, you will graduate. And I said, how will I graduate? I got zeros my junior year. He said, you go out for the basketball team. <laughs> That's what he said. And then Shimento, the, the, the football, he was the previous football coach at Slidell High, but now he was the principal. He's good friends with the basketball coach, Dale Shimento. And so that was God laying the groundwork with Mr. Percy, right? But I still, I had a very hard heart. I, I mean, I was in the depth of my sorrow. I was in the midst of melancholy and the infinite sadness. I'm unconsolable. I don't know if you guys know. That's the, one of the reasons why I'm so sensitive to God now, because he had to reach deep, deep down into the depths of darkness and despair to pluck me out. I mean, you can't get me deeper into the despair than I was. So I still wasn't convinced. I was, forget that. So then I'm in the gym for P.E., and I'm running everybody like crazy people on the basketball court, whipping the basketball players on the basketball team. And I'm hitting threes from like five feet behind the three-point line, just draining them. Pop, pop, pop. So Dale Shimento, who was the new basketball coach that year, who came from Archbishop Hannon, I never met him. I didn't know who he was. He came out there, took off his jacket, took off his keys, and he started draining threes from like five feet behind the line. So him and I started going back and forth like a game of horse. And he told me, hey, I'm going to be the, the, head, the head coach of the basketball team. You want to come out for the team? And I said, you don't want me on the team. Oh, I think I said, you don't know who I am. You don't want me on the team. I said, I promise you. I said, go ask somebody about who I am. 
And he looked me right in the face and he said, I don't care who you were because who you are is who you are to me from this moment forward. <laughs> and you have to understand, I had the worst reputation in the whole world, not just at school. I'm talking about in the city. People would call my parents up and want to meet with them at Walmart to berate them because of me. People would part from them in the stands at sporting events because of me. I had the worst reputation in the whole world. I used to ask my friends if, if I moved away, did they think people would know who I was? Walk in, oh, everybody would know you're all up. Ah! <laughs> and so when he told me that, between those two guys, man, that started like the hand of God reaching down into the pit to grab me. And I didn't, I don't say I came out of it yet, but he latched on to me in that moment. And so it was awesome. Thanks for inviting me there. It was great yeah. talking to the teachers and being able to declare God in the midst of that place. Mm. Um, it was powerful. I just, I have to, I, I can't get past this. I just want to say this again. Um, Cindy and I were just talking about the cross and how it's such a simple thing that, that the cross is, is declaring to us God in our midst. God with us, that, that's really the picture of the cross. And then I started getting all teared up. And, and what I want to say is all the scriptures are intertwined. And it's really one picture. Yeah. And for those of you that had not seen that yet, that's Jesus on the cross. But that's the Father in gold behind him, holding him, embracing him, his hands being pierced with Jesus. And the dove is the Holy Spirit. And so that's the Godhead on the cross. And, and all the scriptures and pictures are intertwined. And we could take these complicated verses and be like, my goodness, what does that sound like? And for those of you that wonder, I could preach every day without using the verses. And it's hard for me sometimes. But one of the reasons why I use the verses is because there's also a whole group of people that have been brought up reading the verses nonstop. Yeah. And I want them to know what the verses mean. Right. And so sometimes it's a hard balance, just preaching the pictures and quoting all the verses. But listen, the cross... The cross is a picture of God coming to find Adam. The cross is God saying, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? We're Adam. And you know where we were? We were in the darkness of death. And God knew we were in the darkness of death. And he knew that we were hiding from him. And he knew the only way we would come and meet with him is if we saw him in death also. There he is entering into our death, into our darkness. And do you know one of the things the cross is saying is, Adam, where are you? Adam just means man in Hebrew. So when I say Adam, that's all of us. And so the cross is God finding us in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our shame. There he is entering into all of it. And one of the things he's saying is, Adam, where are you? And he's trying to draw us to himself. And so the, the, the account in Genesis, yeah, it's nice. It's a nice story. Glory to God. It's a true event. But it's not just talking about that. It has far-reaching implications. And the cross is another picture of that. This is God coming to find us in the midst of our shame and fear when we were hiding, just like the first man, Adam. Right? But if you strip God from the cross... And now you preach it as if God isn't at the cross, that that's not God, that Jesus isn't God. Now you're struggling to see God finding you in the midst of your darkness. You're struggling to hear God say, Greg, where are you? Mm. Lacey, where are you? 
right? And when he says that, you know where we're at? We're in the midst of our shame, our fear, our despair, our confusion, our hurt. And we don't understand. And we're hiding. And then he enters right into the middle of it. Right? Wow. Man. And the cross is supposed to say, that's one of the, the things the cross is supposed to say. God coming to find you. Yeah. yeah. Right? Wow. But now we remove God from the cross, and there we are, still are, all alone. <laughs> and we reinforce the loneliness. We reinforce the, the pain and the hurt and the despair because we say God did to him what we all thought he'd done to us. Right. But he's God. Right. He's Emmanuel. The scripture says he's Emmanuel. He didn't become sin. He became our sin offering. There's never a time where Jesus is not the son of God. Right. There's never a time where he's not Alpha and Omega. Right. There's never a time where he is not God. Right? And so yeah. I tell you what, I used every time I encountered death and darkness or pain or fear or confusion or anger or frustration. You ever felt angry or frustrated? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know when you feel angry or frustrated? When you think something has happened to steal life from you. Or that something is in the way of what you need. The cross blows that up. Do you know why? Because what starts to happen is you start to see God there with you in the midst of all the things that have gone sideways, all the things that are broken, all the things that you think are in the way of you having life. And do you know what happens? If you see God with you in the middle of the place that you think is a place where you don't have what you need for life, and you see God there, all of a sudden, I promise you, you know what you become persuaded of? You have what you need for life. Amen. Because God's there. Yep. And then you feel embraced. And that's one of the most powerful things that's happened in my life. I still feel frustrated. I still feel upset. I still feel confusion press in on me. I can still feel angry and frustrated sometimes. But do you know what I never feel anymore? Where's God? I never feel alone. I never feel that I'm separated from life. And that keeps frustration from becoming anger. That keeps sorrow from becoming despair. Because all of a sudden what happens when you see this is God on the cross in the midst of the darkness, all of a sudden what begins to happen is you start to feel the loving embrace that the Son is feeling right now from the Father. Jesus knew the Father was there in the midst of the darkness. He knew he was there in the midst of the death. There, the Father was not saying, Jesus, where are you? Because Jesus was in his bosom. Right? Yes. And between them, the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, there they are. Adam, where are you? Right? They come to find us. Just like God came to find Adam hiding. And see, we lose sight of some of the richness of the imagery when we don't connect the Adam experience and God coming to find Adam with this. You know, that's really, uh, the picture you, it reminds me of... Uh... The verse it says he holds all things together by the power of his word. Yeah. And that's the Father holding the word together in union with the Spirit right there. Yeah. Yep. yep. This is the embrace. I don't I don't think in all my Christian walk I've ever heard the question or the thought, what is the cross speaking? What is the word that the cross speaks? It just blows me away. Yeah. And I know we've talked about it, and I, and I get it now, but I, I'm just thinking back. And the picture of tithing. 
That's how it would be perverted. Gotta paint the parking lot. Yeah. And our unworthiness. Right. It was a picture of our unworthiness. No, yeah. I don't even know what it wasn't even painted as any no. kind of a picture in my no, mind, other true. than oh, the my. physical suffering of Jesus, and it was all my fault. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That was that was the paint the picture that was painted for me through all of the religion that I went through. Right. We like I said, you know, you've heard we've been to like twenty different denominations because of our military career. And it's that same story everywhere except right. here. It's right. amazing. That, yeah. that Adam, where are you? Yeah. It's not just words, right? Right. I'm telling you, when Adam heard the voice, he immediately didn't feel alone anymore. The God, yeah. listen, it already began the loving embrace. The God who he had concluded abandoned him and forsook him was now all of a sudden finding him. Right? Yeah. He w- it's the loving embrace. Adam, where are you? It has spiritual implications. It isn't just words you read on a page. It's just the embrace, man. It's the father falling on your neck like he fell on the neck of the prodigal son when he came home. Right? Falling on his neck. And Thomas, I know Thomas makes a funny joke, and what he says is true and it's right the way it's been perverted, but this is actually a picture of what the real tithe is. Yes. Because the tithe was yes. always about God providing meat for his people to eat. Yeah. And here's Jesus providing his body so that we could eat eternal life. Yeah. This is Jesus. This is God offering up himself so that there might be meat in his house for the people to eat. Yeah. Which is what the tithe was always about. Mm. Bring ye the tithe into the storehouse that there might be meat in the house for my people to eat. That's what he says. Mm. Jesus stood in the storehouse, in the gospels, and do you know what he said? He stood in the place where they were supposed to bring the tithe. Do you know what he said when he stood in that place? My flesh is meat indeed. Mm. You think he's talking about Malachi? Mm -hmm. I promise you he is. Here he is. You could probably take every verse. In fact, it would probably be kind of fun to challenge someone to, Find a verse that you can't run through the cross. Yeah. It's impossible. It's really impossible. Right? Wow. The tithe was always about God providing himself the lamb. That when the people ate, they would overcome death because of eternal life. Right? And so you see the the Hebrews eating the lamb before the exodus, don't you? Yeah. Before the the destroyer, the angel of death passes over them. What are they eating? The lamb. Who provided the lamb? God. I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, thinking about this: that uh, we we come into this world and from a very early age we're tested. Like you go into kindergarten and you start getting tested, and then elementary school test, 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 and we're conditioned to have to. T- you ever have a? Uh, I have a recurring dream of going to an exam. I didn't even take the course. You don't have the book. And, you know, no, I took zeros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you still had anxiety at some point. Imagine taking a test. And then I started thinking about how the ultimate test, that really the only one that really counts is the test that happened on the cross. And then I was thinking, it's not even Jesus that was tested on the cross as the man, as the son of man. It was really the faith. The, 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 the faith of the Son of Man, the, the thing that makes the union there, 
that was being tested. And that's the only test that really counts for us because that test was passed. We all pass. Yeah, that's right. We all pass. That's the only test that matters. And in testing the faith, like you say there, that, that's so beautiful. One of the things that has gotten lost on us, to Jay's point, and only seeing this as a place of suffering and pain, is we've lost sight of this is supposed to be the declaration of the faith yeah. and the testing of this faith right in our midst. So we can see of what sort it is. What is it able to do? Right? Because lots of people have said lots of things mm -hmm. about the way unto life. And none of them could produce the kind of life that we need. And this is the testing of faith. And, and part of Malachi is bring me the tithe in the storehouse. Test me. See if I will not pour out a blessing the likes of which cannot be received. The, the cross is also the testing of God in our midst. Because God is the spirit of faith. Right? That's one of the ways you could describe God. He is the spirit of faith. And so God himself was being tested on the cross. Not in the sense that God could be tempted with evil. Because God tempts no one with evil. Neither can he be tempted with evil. But in the sense that we were struggling to believe God. We were struggling to believe God was trustworthy. We were struggling to believe that we could actually give ourselves over into his arms. You ever tried to give your life over into somebody else's arms? Hard. That's the most difficult thing. days, people thought that uh, God failed the test. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of the hardest things to do. We do corporate exercises. But the results weren't in yet. Right? Yeah. What do we do with the corporate exercises? We make people stand up on a table, and we have all the people they work with do what? Catch them. Fall over backwards without looking. Yeah. What's that feel like? Have you ever done that? Yes. I mean, even though you know the people are there. You still feel a certain kind of a thing. Like, have you ever gone bungee jumping? I've gone bungee jumping. They lash you up with the, the rope and all the, the harnesses, and you just, you just watch like 15, 20 people do it. None of them died. I promise you, you still feel a certain kind of a way yeah. when you're about to jump because you're still wondering, right? So this is the testing of God in our midst, right? God's like, you want to test my love for you? You want to test who and what I am and who and what is in me? Smack me across one side of the cheek. I'll turn and give you the other one. Strip me naked. I'll go and get my cloak and come and offer you that. Press a crown of thorns into my head. Curse me, mock me, spit on me. I'll pray for you and I'll bless you. Right? And there he is doing it. And there's man testing. Oh, you say you love me? I tried to test one of my friend's love for me once. This guy would die for me. Right? But he's got a serious anger problem that has destroyed his life. Mm. And I could never get him to talk because he internalizes. Same friend I talked about at the end of last week's message. And so I always try to get him to talk because the man is suffering. And I can't get it out of him. So one day I thought, you know how I'm going to get it out of him? I'm going to get him to hit me. And that's going to break him. So you know what I started doing? Mocking him. Pushing him in the French Quarter one night. Hitting him. I was testing him in a way. You know what he did? He just bear hugged me. Oh. And just smiled. And he's, a, he's got like a supernatural strength because of all the destruction. I couldn't get loose. I couldn't even get loose. And that's when I was at the height of my training. I was like a cut up dude. That's when I was like training for the Olympics. I had like a 12 pack. I was ripped. Right? And so God is being tested. You want to test the love of God for you? We, we only read Jesus say, turn the other cheek. In the Sermon on the Mount, pray for those 
who curse you. Bless those who despitefully use you. If someone steals your jacket from you, go and get their cloak. He's describing the righteousness of the Father. That's why he goes on to say, seek ye the kingdom of God by seeking God's righteousness towards you. And then he showed everybody because he turned the other cheek. We stripped him naked, and what did he do? He went into heaven to get the robe of the Father's life for us, didn't he? And he poured it out, or rather the Father poured it out through him in the Holy Spirit. Right. It's the testing of the love of God, right? I promise you, man, you nailed this dude to a tree. We nailed God to a tree. Not you and me personally, but mankind. Adam nailed God to a tree. And you know what he did? He embraced us lovingly. You know what he did? He did like my friend. He looked at us in the eyes and said, I know. It's okay. He didn't judge us for, for, for what was in us nailing him to a tree. He didn't judge us for the darkness or despair that was in our hearts. Right? He understood what was happening to us. He understood the darkness that we were dwelling in. And he embraced us. Right? And now, this kind of love, a self-sacrificial love, the kind of love where you're willing to lay down your life just for the well-being of someone else, that's the kind of love that we see here on the cross. But then we want to strip God from the cross. <laughs> and so it's a diabolical thing we do when we do that. It, 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 the people aren't diabolical to do it. They were taught that. But it's what the serpent did to now corrupt the greatest display of the love of God that there is, right? Well, no man ha loves, has love in their hearts more than someone that would lay down their life for their friend. No man has greater love, it says. And so you know what God come and did? He come and showed us him laying down his life for ours. That's all at the cross. Yeah. That starts, you start feeling embraced. You start feeling loved. And I could say a bunch of things. I'm the kind of guy that wants everything to go right. I'm the kind of guy that has the ability to perfect a lot of things. And so I still hear myself say it now. Like yesterday, I'm making a lasagna because Becky's a little under the weather. And so I'm making this lasagna for myself and I'm, I'm trying to, and no, I didn't cook lasagna. It's like a frozen thing. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, Greg grew. No, Greg did not grow. But I, I've, got, I've got this the spatula with the lasagna, I get out half of it, and I'm in between the, the stove and the counter, and there's a little crack right there. Well, the lasagna just falls right there on this white granite countertop, and it gets all in between there. <laughs> and you know what I said? Really, man? Really? So I'm like the kind of guy, whenever anything goes wrong, really? <laughs> right? And so I'm the kind of guy that wants things to go right. I understand the frustration in... I know the feeling of wanting to find that which can make things go right yeah. so you can be happy. Right. Right? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, you know? <laughs> but I tell you what, the only thing that matters in my life now is the love of God. And it, it, it equalizes everything. It makes everything okay. And it actually, the cross come and discern my heart for me and actually cause me to understand myself, right? And I find most people don't understand themselves. They don't understand why they feel what they feel when they feel gripped on the inside. Right. They don't understand when they feel anxious or they feel afraid or they feel weakness. They don't understand what to make of it. They don't understand when they feel confusion or anger. And I tell you what, the cross, God come and explained me to myself. And now I, I start to understand what's going on in me. I start to understand why it's going on. It's, I start to understand why God doesn't despise me because it's going on. Right? And then you stop despising yourself. 
And then you know what happens? You stop despising other people. Right. <laughs> not because he told you not to, but because you become intimately acquainted with what hurts man. Yeah. It talks about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. How, do you, how does God grow in favor with God? How does Jesus grow in favor with man? What it's talking about is he was intimately acquainted with what hurt us. He even knew more about what hurt us than we knew ourselves and we were the ones hurting. And because he understood what hurt us, he could speak into the depth of our darkness, into the depth of our despair in a way that made us think he knows. Mm. He knows. And that gave him favor with man. Because you want to listen to a person that demonstrates that they know, that they understand. Your ears pop wide open. Right? And that's what God did with me, man. He started to... Understand, I remember one of the last big times, I used to despise myself for feeling weakness. I despised myself for how I felt with public speaking. I hate public speaking. I did not grow up wanting to speak publicly. I grew up wanting to hide from public speaking. And I remember I would feel so stressed out about getting up and talking. Lots of things helped me with that, right? And I remember wrestling with God, thinking I was in unbelief because of the weakness I felt. And he come and discern my heart. And explained to me exactly what I was feeling and exactly why I was feeling it. Mm. And then he showed me how he felt it too. When he put on, that's what I call the skin suit. Mm. When he prepared a body for himself, for his word. And he felt what I was feeling every time I got up. He sweat blood. Mm. And now I start to think, God Almighty. That's why he doesn't despise me. And I began to understand, I'm not in unbelief. You know what I started thinking then? Who cares if I feel weak? Who cares if I feel pressed in on? Doesn't mean anything. God felt it. Now all of a sudden it shrinks it real down. Right? You start to understand about yourself. You start to understand what causes that. You start to understand what's causing it for other people. Right? Now you're not despising them. Now you can speak in a way that convinces the people that you know. You really know what hurts them. Do you know what they feel immediately in that moment? They feel love. Do you know what happens now? Now you can speak into their life. That's what God did with us. He put on our skin suits. We were in dying flesh. Adam, where are you? I'm in this body of death. What do you mean, where am I? And so he came to us in a body of death. And he demonstrated to us all that he's intimately acquainted with what hurts us. And he doesn't despise us for the anguish we feel. He doesn't despise us for all the things we've done to try to come down off the cross, for all the things that we've done to try to clothe ourselves, which make no mistake about it, whenever we see the fruit of death coming out of our lives or somebody else's life, the reason why is because the world has nailed them to a tree. And they're struggling to deal with the hurt and the pain. And they're trying to come down off the cross. And because they tried to come down off the cross, the fruit of death came out of them. You know what would have happened if Jesus, the man, would have tried to come down off the cross? He would have slayed everyone. Yeah. It would have been the end of us. <laughs> right. And so, man, it, it's a beautiful... Listen, I don't say you have to understand it all intellectually, right? But one of the things God does is He comes to help you understand yourself. He comes to help you understand why you felt what you felt when you felt it. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh... Oh, okay. And 
Do you know what starts to happen? Because we we all got some form of PTSD that's tried to be implanted in us. I don't know if you guys realize it. Right? Trauma? It isn't just a war thing. You encounter trauma in life, especially at a young age. Do you know what happens? It You develop what the world calls a trigger. And every time you encounter anything that looks like that, you feel that trigger grip you. As if the same event is happening all over again. Well, with man, what can happen is as God starts to discern your heart and you start to understand what was going on, you start to understand he was there with you in the midst. You start to understand why you felt what you felt. You start to see it clearly. All the things you judged about it before get ripped out of you, right? And now what happens is you begin to have understanding for when you encounter it again the next time. Except this time, because you have understanding, it doesn't have the same diabolical effect in you, right? You still feel a thing, but now God has discerned what you were feeling for you, and he's told you why you were feeling it. Now you stop trying to figure out why you're feeling it, and now you see why you were feeling it, and you start connecting with God, right? This is all the work of God I'm describing. I'm just putting language to it. I see just now, in a, in a way that I haven't seen before, that this is the new creation in me. Yeah. That, that, that is what is at work in me. Yeah. The, the Godhead is at work in me. And it's not, it, it's not someone coming up and telling me, oh, you're saved, oh, you How's the new creation going? Well, right now it sucks. <laughs> right now it's having a bad day. <laughs> you know, but but to but to dwell on that, it you even begin to know why you're having a bad day, though. See, I yeah. never used to know why I was so frustrated. I thought I was frustrated because things weren't going right. Yeah, I didn't understand why. We don't even understand why we want them to go right. I mean, most people don't even stop to think, why do I even care if it goes right? But we care really bad <laughs> to the degree that we feel great pain if it doesn't go right. Mm. Why? What is it we're actually after when we want things to go right? Life. Life. That's a picture of it. And why is it that we're after life? I don't think we realize this, but when we were created in the image of God to be bearers of his likeness, God set our existence in motion. And do you know what motion it set our existence for? To find ourselves in the end of his likeness. Yeah. And so we're yearning in our hearts for the likeness of God to be manifested in us bodily. That's what we're longing for. That's what it means to live and move and have your being in God. Because we come from God, we want to find our existence in God, or we want to find ourselves in the place of God manifested in us. And when things don't go right, do you know what we think? Where's God? We don't have his likeness. Yeah. We're not, at, at, we, we haven't attained to the end of our well-being. Like all of us know, we're meant for a good outcome. Why do we know we're meant for a good outcome? Why do we even want a good outcome? Why aren't we indifferent? Why do even the animals want a good outcome? Why do even the animals run from death and hate death? Why do the gazelles run from the lions and tigers? Why don't they just stand there like, who cares? <laughs> they came forth from God. When God said, let there be light, everything that came into being came into being from him. Do you know what that means? Everything that came into being has a yearning and a longing to find themselves in the likeness of that which gave them being. 
And if you don't know that, what will happen is, is you won't understand that's what you're actually longing for. You won't understand your passions. You won't understand your zeal. You won't understand why you feel what you feel. You won't understand that created things or things in a temporal world can't actually satisfy your longing to find yourself in God's likeness. And you'll spend your time wasting your passions and your zeal on temporal things or created things. The person who made us isn't a created being. So guess what? That means nothing created can satisfy us. You understand? But we're in a world with nothing but created things, thinking that created things can satisfy our desire for the uncreated. But it can't. That's a good way of putting it. But it can't. Right? And we don't understand any of that. So then we confuse things we enjoy with that which we think can satisfy us. Right? I enjoy preaching. Listen, man, as much as I love to preach, it cannot satisfy me. Now, what I'm talking about might be able to produce satisfaction. Right? And so we spend our lives chasing created things, chasing temporal things, confusing that which we would enjoy, which that what we think can satisfy us. And every time one of those temporal things, every time one of those created things don't go right, the reason it bothers us is because we think that we're not going to attain to the end of God's likeness. But those things couldn't give us God's likeness anyway. So now all of a sudden you begin to understand these things. And you know what happens? Your flesh is put to rest. You start to find satisfaction born in you because you see what it is you're after. You no longer confuse created things with what you're after. That helps lessen the sting when things don't go right. Right? Because you don't think it's keeping you from the good outcome or the good end, which is to find yourself in the likeness of God. He put that in us so that we would seek him or rather see that he's found us and find our satisfaction there, right? That's the only thing that can satisfy you. That's what you want. Whatever good thing you're after, whatever good thing you're doing, I promise you at the root of it, it's because you know inside of yourself you're meant for the likeness of God. That's greatness. That's glory. You know that inside you're meant for greatness. You're meant for glory. You're meant to enjoy life. You're meant for a good outcome. Well-being is for you. You understand that. Even if you can't put words to it. But if you don't understand what it is that satisfies that, you will find a passion born in your members that can't be tamed. And you'll begin lusting after the likeness of God through created things. That's why the scripture would come and say they worship the creature Instead of the creator. Worship means to seek the good outcome you want in something. If you're seeking the good outcome you want in this world, in the things you can do in this world, you're worshiping the creation. If you're seeking the good outcome you want, if you're seeking the the good outcome you desire in the God of all glory, who has given it to you in Jesus Christ, listen, now you're worshiping the creator, right? You guys understand that? Because God isn't created and we come from him, nothing that's created can satisfy us. It doesn't matter. You can have beautiful relationships. You can enjoy those relationships. You can have a good time. I have a great time with Becky. Becky can't satisfy me. You know why marriages are destroyed? You know why so many marriages are destroyed? Because the two people don't understand what we're talking about today and they're trying to find satisfaction in one another. Right. And eventually you'll end up hating each other and being filled with bitterness towards each other because you're both going to fail to satisfy the other one. And then you'll start pointing the finger. 
That kind of explains why God can't be satisfied with man unless his life is in him. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's when, a great point. When when you read in John 17, mm-hmm. you know, what he prayed before he went to the cross, it, it wasn't so much about the forgiveness of sins, but that we might be one with him, even as he is with the Father. Yeah. You know, that, that we find our life from him. That's right. And experience that life. That's right. So the world is like Mars Hill. Mm. And we've all been gathering, philosophizing mm. about the origin and meaning of life. Yes. Mm. Because we think if we can ascertain the origin of life, right. then we'll find meaning for life. And then we can get the good outcome we need. That's why we love wisdom. We think in knowing things, we can gain the good outcome that we want. Right? Well, God showed up in the glorified man Jesus on Mars Hill. And you know what he did? I see you all have an altar with an inscription to the unknown God because you're seeking after me, even though you don't realize it, but you're seeking after me through created things. And created things can never give you my likeness. So let me reveal to you what it is you're actually after. Glorified immortal flesh. My likeness. Boom! That's the resurrection. All of a sudden, that starts discerning your heart. It's meant to tell you, oh, that's the burning I have inside of me. That's actually what I'm after. There it is. Oh, hallelujah. And now he starts to tell you about the way you can attain to this likeness. Now, all of a sudden, the created things you thought could give you the likeness you were after, they get knocked down to their rightful place where you can enjoy all things. Right? But they're not that which gives you the good outcome. Right? You see how he did that? That's what he did to Paul. That's the Pauline revelation. Paul was ignorantly seeking God. He was seeking God through the riches, the status, the the clout he could gain in the world. He was seeking God through that by the works of the law. And then he encountered the glorified man Jesus on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden he's like, what? what? That's the likeness of God. That's the glory and immortality of God. And then he saw that Jesus was a man. Fully man, fully God. So that's, okay, now I see what I'm trying to get to. That's what I'm actually after. Okay, now it becomes real clear that status in the temple can't give you that. Mm -hmm. Now it becomes real clear that people respecting you can't give you that. Right. Now it becomes real clear the way people treat you can't give you that because you just saw this man, Jesus, who no one respected, who, who, who no one gave any status to, who had the worst reputation, he inherited. And so now you start seeing how you worship God, right? You start seeing worshiping someone just means to seek them. You start to see what it means to seek the likeness of God. And you start to see what gives it to you. What doesn't give it to you? Now that's when you start living by the faith. Right? To Thomas's point about the faith being tested. Right? The faith being tested is, we ain't going to believe something that can't give us the likeness of God. Or give us the good outcome. So God put the faith on display. Right? Let me show you what this faith can do. And let me show you how it can give you actually what you're always trying to gain. And then boom. We had a little, we have a, a little family Zoom that we do. We started doing recently, and we were discussing uh, what, what did people when see people saw the risen Christ? What was different about him? Like, well, some didn't recognize him. Some, oh, we couldn't find anywhere 
in the scripture that describes the physical appearance of Jesus, except for maybe on uh, with with Paul Saul when he you know, flashed a light or something like that. And we and not counting the transfiguration of Jesus when before the cross. What do you think it was about what people saw in the risen body of Christ with glory in this flesh? Was there a physical appearance of people that that's something that's never been seen before? Because well, I mean, we couldn't find any scripture describing the, yeah. the appearance. like. And they didn't recognize him, even the people that were with him before he died. But Mary recognized him. Not some some didn't, some didn't. Yeah, some yeah. didn't, some didn't. But so I thought when I he spoke, yeah. her name. If some didn't, some didn't, then I would it's to me it's the condition of the heart. Yeah. Right? And a veil in the heart. If they didn't recognize it. But you mean like you mean like the glory when you say the appearance. Yeah, I was wondering if we Because were they all, saw his hands when he, he held them out. Yeah, the wound in the side and all yeah, that. Yeah, okay. We look and we <laughs> Nick, Nicholas goes on the chat GPT. You know, the AI search engine? Yeah, yeah I got it. I mean, you can put a question out, boom, 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 all the scriptures describing Jesus, the post-resurrection, and we went through each one of them. None of them described a physical thing about him that might explain their reaction to it that scene. Right, so this is what I would say to you, and this is just theological, if you want the timeline. Remember when he told Mary, don't grab on to me right. yet, for I've not yet ascended? Right. Okay, the, Paul would have seen Jesus after Correct. he ascended. Right. So they just saw Jesus coming out of the grave, right? And you could say, well, they didn't know it was him because he's dead, right? This guy's in a flesh. He's not a spirit, right? So it's not a ghost. It's not the ghost of Jesus. Right. It's a real dude right. in the body, right. right? But he didn't, his flesh wasn't glorified till he appeared into heaven, right? And sat down at the right hand of God. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out. Right? And now that Holy Spirit starts revealing to the disciples and the apostles the glorification of the flesh. Right, But they already had the beginning of it, which is this guy conquered the grave. Right, This guy that was dead, dead, has now got it right to conquer the grave. We can see. It's him. Look. right, And he's standing there physically. We touched him. We handled him. We ate food with him. That's him. Right? And then the glorification would be when he ascends into heaven and receives the kingdom of God as a human being. Right? It, it ties into flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, for corruption can't inherit incorruption. So Jesus had to first shed his blood or the body of death, come out of the grave in a body that was free from death, and then ascend into the heavenly tabernacle and receive the glorification of his flesh. Okay. Right? So why do you think people didn't recognize him? Well, this, you know, it's interesting. I got to tell you, last night we were driving home from Covington. We went to that rainy parade. And uh, Maria and I were talking about this very thing. I was talking to Maria about that. And as I was driving and talking to her about it, I was thinking through, why didn't they recognize him? Yes. In other words, if yeah. if Jesus was mm -hmm. raised from the dead sure. in the body that he died in, yeah. why didn't they recognize him? And it, you know, it just kind of came to me that they were kept from recognizing him. In other words, th their perception of him is what caused them not to recognize. He was who he was. He, I think, his appearance was as it was, but he, for for a reason they were kept from recognizing him. And I think it's just kind of like uh, when Jesus was raised, said, don't hold on to me yeah. until I, I've been, you know, right. later. And uh, I, I think the issue was, he was, though he was 
raised from the dead and glorified in his inner man. He had not yet ascended to the Father and experienced that full glorification yet. And that is what he was reserving the people to see, him in his complete glorification. That when they see him for who he actually is, the raised, risen, raised, glorified person, when we see him, we're going to be as he is because we're going to see him as he is yeah. in that in the in a glorified body. So at the time, he it wasn't important that they recognized him the way he was raised from the dead, but the way he would later be glorified. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's just my that's what I was thinking. You know. When y'all are all bringing this up, it's like I can, same way, I can recount how many times people didn't know who was walking next to him, who was talking yeah. to him, mm -hmm. until all of a sudden, boom. But but I remember that that part where Jesus is on the bank and he goes, have y'all caught anything? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and it's like, nah, he goes, throw your nets over here. And then all of a sudden, you, <laughs> the idea that they didn't recognize him, kind of I went, okay, I get it. But then the moment that I see that Peter says, it's the Lord. Man, I didn't need to know anything else. I just needed to be in that moment of someone recognizing God. I mean, you're that, hungry, man, if you've died on a cross and you've been in a grave for days. <laughs> yeah. Some of these fishes do. On the other hand, he's going through locked door, being drunk, yeah. just being yeah. with them. Right, right. Listen, but he had the cat of nine tails across his back. He was mutilated. Right, he had right. thorn, thorn stuck in his head. He, but Thomas didn't say like I got the impression when Thomas put his hand on his side, it was kind of it was healed. In other words, it wasn't still gory and oozing with blood. Right. You know, well, no, blood. It, wasn't. it was. It was something. You know, his body was different. So. I don't think he was walking on the road. You know, it says that he wasn't. He wasn't recognized yeah. as a man on the cross. Oh. He was so mutilated, he didn't even look like a man. Well, he wasn't walking around like that because yeah, people yeah. say there's a zombie kill him. You know? No, he wasn't walking around like that at all. Right. The thing, the thing about it is, and to all everybody's point, the carnal mind can't comprehend God. Uh, and so you can't actually see anything and to, to bring in what Shelley preached a couple weeks ago, how she described the Holy Spirit as the eyes um, or the sight. And so you can't actually see God apart from the Holy Spirit, right? And so I think that that, uh, that played a big role in them seeing him or not seeing him. And Jesus is the spirit and the flesh. And so on the road to Emmaus. When did they see that it was him? When we unpacked the scriptures, that's what the Spirit would do. Right? He revealed himself in the scriptures. That's what the Spirit would come and do. Reveal Jesus. When he speaks to Peter and he tells him to cast the net, Peter would have remembered the Jesus telling him to cast the net the first time. Right, right. Right? All of a sudden would have seen it was the Lord by the Spirit. Right? And so that's how, I mean, all those things are good. Well, you didn't say Mary didn't even recognize until he said her name. Yeah. Well, I mean, you wouldn't think that that was him. Well, I mean, I think if I saw somebody die on the cross and three days later saw him, I'd be like, yeah, that right. I ain't him. I think I'd go the head of King Brother or something, you know? Like, I mean, I just saw a guy, you know, mutilated on the cross. I probably would think twice, too. I think that's a great description of Mary. Mm -hmm. Like, you see somebody, it doesn't say that she looked him in the eye. Yeah. I mean, so you're walking around, you see somebody at the corner of your eye, and you think they're the gardener. Yeah. Right? And so you're right. Your subconscious mind would never think, that's yeah, Jesus. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Right? Because, because you're, he's dead. He's in that tomb, right. right? And so, yeah, I think that your subconscious mind can get in the way. I mean, like if I died and y'all knew I had died and y'all were at my funeral and you watched me get put into the ground, 
Although I tell Becky, just dump me in the alley, right? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Don't waste the money on a funeral. Um, and like a couple months later, I was in your house looking normal. You wouldn't think that that was me. Or if you saw me walking by, you saw some bald-headed dude. Yeah. You wouldn't think it was me. <laughs> right? You, you would think, oh, it just looks like Greg. So, yeah, all those things are, that's, they're all good. Maybe it'll be like, uh, there'll come a time. Will we actually see Jesus in each other in a way that we weren't able to before? Uh, the glorification. I want to say this. Touch me. It, it, it says that God set forth our habitations. I'm going to preach about this today. That we might seek him if happily we might feel after him. Seek and feel after him. Feel there means to handle or touch. God desires to be handled and touched. And it isn't just handled and touched like we think of handle and touch. That that's a part of it. But do you know how God desires to be handled and touched by manifesting His likeness in you bodily? Mm-hmm. You're actually handling God on account of eternal life dwelling in you bodily, right? And what I want to say is that that can actually enliven your senses to eternal life, which is actually the most sensual thing that there is. Eternal life is not void of sensuality. And I don't mean sexuality. I mean sensuality. I mean the aware the senses being aware of it, right? But the problem is many times the senses aren't awakened to that eternal life or that likeness dwelling in you. Right? That's why Jude, I think it's Jude, says that your faith is made effectual mm-hmm. by the acknowledgement of every good thing in, that's inside of you. Or maybe it's Philemon. It's talking about being awakened to the likeness that's in you. Mm-hmm. And you start touching and handling eternal life. Right? And your senses start becoming animated by eternal life. Right? You're touching and handling the whore, actually. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Hallelujah. What time is it? I think that's it. Um, I don't know if that's right. 9.56. 9.56. Can I ask you a question? You mentioned several weeks ago about three days he was gone. Jesus was in the grave to prove that he was really dead. Well, I mean, that wasn't a near-death experience. Well, I mean, I guess for us, because I don't know. But I, I just wondered if you could expound on that. I thought that was very... Well, I don't know that there's there's much to say. The, the point is... Is that, you know, like, uh, and the reason why I brought it up, and I'm just drawing from a picture. I'm not quoting a verse. But there's people that have died in the world that then woke back up, right? So there's people that have come back to life before. In the world, there's people that you read about that they think is dead in the hospital, on like the gurney or whatever. And then all of a sudden they wake up, right? And so the reason why I brought that up is because the dude was really dead, right? He was actually put to death. He didn't come back. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, if you wanted to get into a, a, a deep, long discussion, in the Jewish mind, corruption would set in at a certain point. Right? Like, remember when he was going to raise Lazarus and they were like, don't open that up. Right? And so part of it is, is prophetic in, in dealing with the scripture that says, you shall not suffer your holy one to see corruption. Neither shall you leave his soul in, in, Tadet, in the place of the dead, right? And so corruption in the Jewish mind would occur after a certain death, right? And so he would have been also raised before that corruption set in, right? Yeah, right. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah, thank you. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome.